Good morning. Glad you're here today. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians chapter 3. It's where we are today. And, and, and man, the Lord has just been moving in our church, and it was, it's been so amazing. I mean, to see little Lucy's baptism today is, is such a cool lesson for us about uh, following the Lord. And uh, I don't want us to miss that. But, you know, last Sunday, do you know that we baptized 17 people in the life of our church? Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. You know, it was a great day. And, and, uh, and the Lord is just moving in our preschool ministry. I mean, Susan met with Lucy and, you know, kind of tried to talk her out of, hey, you don't really understand this, do you? And she's like, ah, oh, she gets it, you know. So when you get it, you get it. And uh, no matter how old you are. And, uh, and then, you know, in our children's ministry, we've seen a lot of children come to faith in Christ. And, and, and that's, that's a blessing. You think about all the ways that the Lord is going to move in them for a lifetime. That's the way to do it. Um, and our student ministry, I love seeing our student ministry right now. I, uh, you know, Andrew Wade is our youth pastor, and, he, and, uh, and, and he is uh, the, the D groups that, that he has put together on Sunday nights. I mean, this, God, God has given him this vision about discipleship. And all through our, all over our city, there's some students meeting, and they're growing in their faith. And, and that's important because uh, those teenage years, for me, that was foundational for me. I, at 15, uh, I went to False Creek, and it was fun to hear Brad announce about False Creek because uh, we're, we didn't get to go to camp last year because of COVID, and man, we're going to camp this year. And I, False Creek, that was a moment at 15 that God spoke to me. I mean, God, I was at camp. I was a 15-year-old kid, and, and uh, I'd gotten saved at eight, and so I knew the Lord. Um, and, um, you know, after you come to know the Lord, you realize that it just doesn't stop at salvation, right? That there's a lifetime, though. There's a lot left after salvation. You, you, you grow up in your faith. And I was growing, starting to grow in my faith. And I go to False Creek. And I'm sitting there in that service. And the Lord spoke to my heart about ministry. And, and I, I knew he was speaking to my heart. This guy says to me, do you think God's calling you to, to be in ministry? I said, yes, that's it. And at 15, I turned my face to that, and I hope, I hope it works out because I've only had one other job outside the church, and that was coaching tennis, so I don't have anything to fall back on. I hope this works out for me. But, um, but you know, I turned my face to be a pastor, and that's what I've done my whole life. And, you know, it's funny as I think back of that teenage years. I, at 15, I come home, and I tell my dad, hey, Dad, uh, I'm, God's called me to ministry. My parents were excited about that. My dad bought me a Bible, put Ephesians 4.1 on it, which says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And man, I started trying to grow. I started growing in my walk with the Lord. And uh, I went to my dad uh, shortly after that. I said, hey, dad, because the 80s, uh, I was in the 80s. How many of you remember the 80s? The 80s were awesome. I want you to know you had parachute pants. Uh, Don't admit if you had those. I I did. But um, uh, remember jams in the 80s? Jams were awesome, man. I, I look good in some jams. Those need to come back. We need to bring those back. Don't Google it right now. But, um, but uh, you're going, jams, what are you talking about? If you know the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. Um, but, but in the 80s in tennis, that was John McEnroe. Remember John McEnroe? Um, and uh, so one of the things that was cool in the 80s in high school James, just know this, you'd put stencils on your tennis racket. James plays tennis for Owasso and Andrew over there. And you could, like, do designs on your tennis racket with paint. And I said to my dad, hey, Dad, I'm going to put a cross on my racket. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And my dad said, you shouldn't do that. I was like, what, what do you mean? Why, what, what? 
I want to be a witness. He goes, well, you're, you don't act very good when you play tennis. You know, you're not a very good witness. You need to not do that. And, and at first I was like, that, that kind of, that's kind of not very nice, but it was right. Because I didn't. I didn't act like, I, I didn't act very good on the court. And, and, you know, here's the point. As a follower of Christ, we're to look like it, right? I mean, we should look like we follow Jesus. And, and, you know, we've been in the book of Colossians, and Colossians is a great book, an important book, because the first part of the book, Paul, he, he's writing to the church at Colossae, and, and he's talking about Christ is preeminent. He's preeminent. He's Lord. He's, he's preeminent overall. And and then he warns about chapter 2, he warns about the false teaching. And then he gets in chapter 3, and he starts talking about what the preeminence of Christ looks like. That, like, here's what it looks like when Christ is preeminent in your life. This is what it looks like. This is how you can look like a Christian. And, and that's what Colossians 3 helps us understand. We're in verse 12. Stand together. Let's stand and read God's Word. Even if you're at home, let's stand and read God's Word. It's just a great posture to say, God, you got, you said something to us. And so let's, let's turn our face to it. Colossians 3, starting verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with each other and bearing with one another. And, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now you know what? Reading these verses, it reminds me, it reminds us, of the, of the call to live a holy life, to look, to, to look like a follower of Jesus. And here's the challenge uh, that we see to the church at Colossae, to our church, is that, is, that, is that we're to put off this old way of living and put on a new way of living. We're to live differently. We're to look like followers of Jesus. Like basically when Christ saves us, let's think about this. Um, when Christ saves us, uh, he we become, he changes us. We become the people of God. That's what happens when God saves us. It's like our, our 1 Peter 2.10 moment. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When you're saved, you become the people of God. And, and, and God's people have been interesting since the beginning. I mean, when you think about um, uh, this passage and and the call that we have, once we know forgiveness, once we've received the mercy of God, little Lucy, the second she put her faith in Christ, guess what? She became the people of God. Now, point number one is a challenge in this passage, an obvious challenge. We, we're called to look like God's people. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you look like God's people? Look at, look at this. He tells us. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, he says. Look at verse 12. God's, God chose his people. He chose a people. Now, we see in the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, talks about God's people, that the reason they were God's people was not because they were more powerful or smarter or anything like that. God loved them. He just says he loved them. And, and the miracle of, of this idea of, of, of chosenness, it, it kind of blows our mind like Ephesians 1.4 talks about, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It says that God chose us before the world began. Now, now the doctrine of being chosen, we've we got to understand that a little bit, that, that uh, this is not to make us arrogant or to make us cocky. Every time the Bible speaks of election, it is written in the context that we are to be in awe of salvation. And I get frustrated with people that use that as a hammer. But, but the reality is the doctrine of election is a biblical revelation, but, but it's, boy, it just causes us to go, wow, God, you, you saved us not on my own uh, merit. I didn't deserve it. And, and it says you're chosen to do what? To be holy, it says. You see that word, holy? What does holy mean? It means to be set apart, to look different, to, um, um, to the, we, the loyalty we have to Christ is obvious. That's, we're to be holy. We've been bought with a price. That's what the Bible says. The, the, it also says we're beloved. We're loved by God. God loves us, and, and love is, is, is really the strongest and most motivating power in the whole world. Think about it. Love is a powerful um, gift that we have. Like, for example, I, I often tell my wife I love her. I love my wife. I tell her, I love you. Um, and I should, obvious, I should state the obvious. I should do that. But, but the evidence for my love for Robin is not in my words. It's in my actions, right? It's, it's uh, uh, I'm faithful to her. It's my, my, my goal to be faithful to my wife for a lifetime. It's my, uh, I sacrifice for her. I, I invest in her relationally and, and in all, all kinds of ways. I, I cherish her. I, I make sure she has gas in her car. I, I get her coffee in the morning. She likes that. And so I bring that to her with cream in it and everything. It's all ready for her. Um, and uh, sometimes I'll put it on the toilet, which I think is funny. I just have it waiting for her on the toilet. May I, do not say that I said that. Please, do, let me just back up. Let's start back over. I love my wife. I love her. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. But I do do that. Um, but, um, okay, I'm so sorry. Uh, but I want her to know it. But it's similar as we grow in our walk with the Lord. As we grow up in our faith, our love for God grows. Our desire for obedience grows. Our desire to live a life that reflects the character of God grows. Now, look back at verse 12. It says, put on then. Look, you see that phrase, put on. Often in this passage, you see that phrase. Now, this morning, it was funny. Robin had hung a, a sweater to dry in like in the doorway of our bathroom or, or in our, going into our bathroom area. And uh, it was dark, and I didn't see it. 
And I'm just like, don't have my glasses on. And I'm like, you know, when you don't have your glasses on, you're kind of doing that. And, and this sweater hits me in the face and I flipped out. I mean, I, I was like, what is, oh my goodness, just brushed my face. And, um, but, so I didn't put on that sweater. I thought it was coming on me. I did. I thought that was that's coming on me. But, but, you know, I put on this red shirt today. I put that on with intentionality. I had to button it. I had to, I had to work at it. The sweater didn't get put on. This shirt did. Now, the Bible talks about, look at this. You're to put these things on. It doesn't happen accidentally. It happens with intentionality. And he says, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, look what he says to put on. Verse, verse 12, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's, let's break this down a bit. Look at that first word, compassionate hearts. He says you're to put that on. As a follower of Christ, you're to put on compassionate hearts. That's what God does. Doesn't God change our heart from the inside out? Doesn't he change us? But, but then he says, I want you to put on compassion. We're to be compassionate people. Uh, compassion should be evident in us. And I want to ask you a question. Is compassion evident in you? Look, this is one of the things it looks like. We should grow in our compassion for others. We should, we should develop this in our lives. That's what it means. Look, look at the next word, kindness grows. Kindness is consistent for us. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. We should be kind. That, that, that should be a response of our lives. It's out of this gratitude, out of this salvation, we're moved to go, you know what, I'm just gonna be, I need to be kind to people. We have a tendency to, to, to struggle with that because we get selfish. And, but when we're walking with the Lord, when we're in tune with the Lord, what happens? We, we, we do react in a kind way. And let's embrace this. Let's hear this, that, that God calls us to kindness. Let's work on that this week. Humility, right? Humility, it's, it's what is humility? It's, think, it's saying that, you know what? Uh, let's not just make this about me. Let's not just make uh, me be the focused. Aren't we me-focused too much? And this humility of being, let's be others-focused. Let's, let's, let's recognize, let's, make, let's let others feel important. Let's serve others. It's this humility ought to be increasing in our lives as we, as we grow up in our faith. Humility should increase. That means when somebody confronts me, that I'm like, no, I didn't do that. I'm not, you know. That, that's good for me. That, that, that's helpful for me. Be grateful for a brother or a sister that confronts you. Humility should be increasing. Look at that other word. Next word, meekness. Meekness. Now, you know what that word means? Like some people equate that with weakness. But uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a really great author, and he was a pastor a long time ago, and he's written some really great stuff. And, and on on his study on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a really big book, that on, on that sermon, he talked about, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The, Jesus said that, not Martin Lloyd-Jones. But, um, but uh, he talked about what Jesus said, what he meant. What is meekness? It's not weakness. It's, meekness means, the definition is tamed power power under control. It's like Justin Beatles is a dear friend of mine, and I talk to him almost weekly, and, and he's a pastor in Stillwater, and, uh, and, and he, was, he grew up on a farm, and I used to go help him on his farm. And uh, one day on the farm, he said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to ride my horse named Dude. And I was like, all right, man, I can do it. I'm a city boy, but I'll do it. And I, this day, I had 
overalls on and green Converse high tops and a Gilligan's Island hat. I looked like a reject right there. And, uh, and he just thought it was funny. He goes, I want you to get on dude. And so I jump on the back of dude. And I think, man, I got this. We're even running, I thought. Until Justin rode up beside me and hit dude on the rear. And that horse took off. And I was like, then I found out what it meant to ride a horse that's running. And it was not a fun moment because I started, my feet come out of the stirrups and I start sliding over to the side. I'm screaming, stop, 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 dude, stop, stop, dude, dude, stop. And dude wasn't stopping. And I think, now I did not fall off because I've learned if you fall off a horse, you should act like you meant to. Okay, it's just, just a little bit of advice. Um, but I did not fall off and I instinctively just grabbed the reins and I pulled back and guess what? It stopped. You know what? That's meekness. That horse was way more powerful than me, but it was controlled by that bit in his mouth. And God calls us to meekness, which is power, that we have the power of God. Jesus had the power of, he was God. You don't think he could have destroyed those soldiers that hit him? Oh, yeah, he could. But he had it under control. We are called to power under control. So what does that look like? Well, gentleness is normal, right? We're not worried. We're not having to lose our cool all the time because gentleness overrides that. And this is, this is what it looks like when you grow up in your faith. And then look at that other word, the next word. That's a good word, isn't it? Patience. That's a fun word, isn't it? Patience. We love patience. Have you ever prayed for patience? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Because you'll have many, you know what? Here's the truth. You don't have to even pray for patience because God's going to provide ample opportunities for you to learn patience without even praying for it, okay? God just teaches us patience. But, but here's the thing. When you follow Jesus, patience becomes a prayer. Lord, I, I do want to be patient. Lord, help me to be patient with somebody else. Help me be patient with a brother or a sister. And then look at verse 13, because it's, it's, it, this is like really convicting. Bearing with one another. Okay, as we walk with the Lord, as we grow, as we're saved and we become a people of God, we grow up in our faith, we are called to bear with one another. That means, you know what? There's going to be times that we're going to bug one another. We're going to frustrate one another. We're going to make each other mad. Um, it goes on. If one has a complaint against one another, because guess what? Paul's like, I got this. I know how this works. You're going to have complaints with one another. But, but we're to bear with one another. We're to, like, if we have a complaint, look at what he says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Look at this. So you also must forgive. It doesn't say, I suggest you consider forgiving. No, you must forgive. And here's what I think about as I, as I process this passage, and I think about my growth and my walk with the Lord, that every time I get frustrated with somebody else, and I'm like, man, I'm complaining about this person, and maybe they made me mad, or they, they, they wronged me in some way, I just go, you know, I, I'm compelled to forgive. Let me tell you something. I got a phone call this week from a from a, a friend, and 
And this week, there was a wrong done in his life. And it was one that I'm like, hmm. Um, and he, and we talked about, he's angry. And, and let me tell you something, with this situation, I can't go into it. But it, it's one that uh, you can't just go, oh, no big deal. Um, he's angry. And I'll tell you what, he, he should be. But like Ephesians says, and what I said to him, I said, man, here's what I got for you today. In your anger, do not sin. Um, now, forgiveness is easy until you have something to forgive. But I reminded this dear friend that I've known for a long time, um, you got to think about how much God has forgiven you. And that's what Paul says right here. That's what the church is learning, that, that if, if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So forgiveness comes quickly, right? This is what should be. This is, how, this is what happens when we grow up. And, 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 and you know, here's, here's the thing. Um, just keep in mind how much God has forgiven you because that moves us to forgive others. And that's hard, but it's a natural result of our growth with the Lord. Look at verse 14. Above all, these, these put on love. Put on love. See it again? We've got to put on love. We've got to work at loving it. We've got to do some, we've got to be intentional about loving one another. What does it do? Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, you know so we've got to, whether it's like in our church or in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, you know, the truth is we've got to love one another. That's, that's difficult at times because we're all, Difficult to love at times. But he says to put this on. And as a follower of Christ, we put on love for others. Loving others, what does it do? It becomes our reputation. And I want to ask you a question. Is loving others your reputation? Is that your reputation? You know what I pray for our church, in our community, in our city, that, that loving others becomes our reputation. I want this to be our reputation you know, our, our purpose statement as a church, we say it this like this, that, that we're here to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. Now, now the truth is, when it comes to the a, a world that we live in, there's so much divisiveness. There's so many issues that are causing division. And, and, and you know, um, we're not going to argue people to believing the Bible or believing about God, though we are able to defend our faith. Um, we're not going to be able to necessarily reason with people, and they're going to go, okay, well, uh, now I get it, even though we do have a reason for our faith that we should, need, we should articulate. I want you to realize it's the way we love one another, the way we love each other, the way we love people that don't agree with us, don't think like us. Um, that's, that's, that's how a lost world looks at us and says, okay, you look like a follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean we walk away from tough conversations. May 2nd, I'll be honest with you, that's a divisively tough conversation in our city, in our nation. And, and you know what? Here's the reality. The, the, whole, the whole world is about to turn the spotlight on Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we live. 
And we got to talk about these things. We got we got to embrace God. I didn't choose that this would be our spot right now in history. But I'll tell you, the whole world's looking at Tulsa. And that spotlight in May, you watch, in May, the spotlights turn into Tulsa. And so we got to we got to learn to bear with one another. Like Phil, he's a, he's, a, he's a wonderful man. I may not agree with everything that Phil thinks. But you know what? We should model, and I loved his heart, we should model what it means to bring racial reconciliation to, to the world, shouldn't we? That's why I love what, what's happening in our church. We're working on this, and we're praying about this, and, we're, and we need to pray about it. But, but you know, here's what I pray, one of the values of our church, that we, we, we grow up in our faith. We grow up, and we look like followers of Jesus. That's what Colossians is saying. Look at verse 15. And then he goes on. He says, and let, allow. We need to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. That's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes I don't allow the peace of God to rule in my heart. Why? Because I start worrying. I start, um, I disobey the Lord. But allow, let the peace of God, of Christ, rule in your, rule in your hearts. To which, indeed, you were called to one body and be thankful. Don't miss verse 15. I, I think the, the, the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts, and then he connects it, to which indeed you were called, don't miss that, you were called to one body. You realize that, that you're called to the body of Christ, right? When, when little Lucy got saved, she, yes, she became a part of the body of Christ, church, big C. Absolutely, that's true. And when we are, we are you've heard that, church, capital C, church, big C, that means universal church, those followers of Jesus, we are, we are connected, But here's the reality. Even though I'm connected to the church globally, I learned to walk with Jesus in my church locally. And that's why you've got to be involved in a church. That's why what's happening here is something you're called to. And I don't want us to miss this. It's like what I love about what's happening in our student ministry, these D groups. They are called to one another. They're pushing one another. There's accountability there. There's a Bible study there. There's going to be a group in my house tonight. And, And and you know what? We're going to be in the Word. And, and this, is, this is just what it means to be called to a, to a body. And I, and, I, I'm, I'm, and I want you to know you're called to this. Because here's what we need to see in this passage, that, that uh, Christ rules in your heart. You're called to this body. You need to stay connected to the church. Stay connected. Because here's what I found as I was growing up at 15, uh, really at 8 on, my whole life I've, I've been able to be a, um, in the church and blessed by the church, confronted by people in the church, um, challenged by people in the church. Um, and and it, what, you know what it did? You know what I found? That strength grows in the church. In my life, strength, I've had strength because of these relationships. Um, my faith has matured in the church, and this is where your faith is going to mature. It's in this local body where we look at each other and go, hey, let's walk through this tough question of race. Let's just walk together. Let's figure it out. Let's take, take our Bible and, 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 and tackle it. In your marriages, in your life, in, your, in, in, the, in the brokenness that we have. Look, look, we, we walk together. You need a body. You need a people. And, and this is like... Um, 
I've known people that have, uh, some of you, we've walked through the dissolving of your marriage. And, and you know what? You need the church. It's in this place that our faith matures. And here's what happens. Also in the church, gratitude increases in the church. You see this in this passage. They're, they're growing up. They're, they're grateful. They're, they're, there's gratitude in their hearts. And this is why Hebrews 10, 25 says, uh, don't, let's spur one another on. 10, 24 and 25. Let's, let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds and do this more and more as you see the day approaching. Look, we've got to push one another to stay connected in the church. But notice verse 16. Verse 16 is cool. He goes on and he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's allow the word of God dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You know, that's what I'm doing today. We're, teach, we're gathered around the word of God and, and we're admonishing one another. You know what admonish means? It means to confront. It means to... Um, hold accountable. And it goes on and says, um, do this in all wisdom, the wisdom of God, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what this is? You know what Paul's talking about here? He's talking about a heart song. You know what a heart song is? Well, a heart song is this, this is a song that maybe comes out of your life, out of your heart. Let me ask you a question. Do you have, what song comes out of your heart? Do you have a heart song? You know, um, Andy Coleman, who's a member of our church, he's on our church council, Years ago, a couple years ago, he said, you got to read, read this book. It's called The Insanity of God. And so we have this habit, uh, this practice. When we take family road trips, we'll do an audio book. And we just took a road trip over spring break, and we did the audio book, The Insanity of God. Oh, you got to get The Insanity of God. It's a missions book. It's a, it's a fascinating book. It's, a, it's by a guy named Nick Ripkin, and, um, and he's a, he was a missionary. And Nick Ripkin was called to, to a really tough ministry. He, he was called to, to minister to people that were persecuted. And, and Nick Ripkin, man, he, was, uh, uh, he really struggled through this persecution. And, and it really wasn't like the worldly success that people go, oh, man, lots of people got saved. It was really tough. It was pers- genuine persecution. So he left the mission field pretty discouraged. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to interview um, believers around the world that are facing persecution. And in that book, he writes about those stories. you got to get it. you got to read that book. And um, let me tell you one of those stories. He goes and meets this pastor who had gotten arrested for, for sharing the gospel. That's something I've never had to experience. You know, but he got arrested, and he was uh, imprisoned, and he was beaten, and, and, um, and he was, t- this pastor, as he was t- telling this story, he goes, you know what, every morning, I would get up in my cell, I would face the east, I would spread my arms out, and I would sing my heart song. And he goes, the prisoners, they would throw stuff, they'd cuss at me, they'd go, shut up, you know, they'd bang their, their walls and bang things, and be quiet. 
the guards, when they'd hear him sing, they'd go in and grab him, and oftentimes they'd drag him out to the square and just beat him and uh, stop singing. But every morning, I did the same thing. I'd turn to the east, and I'd sing my heart song. And, and you know, uh, one morning, he tells a story. It's such a great story. He says, he, he says, the guards, they said, we're killing you today. They drug him out, and they started to beat him, and, they, and they, they strung him up, and they were about to kill him when all of those prisoners started singing the heart song that he would sing every morning. And these guards just like stopped, and they're like, what? And they didn't kill him. They put him back in his cell. They couldn't believe it. In fact, the higher-ups, they, they said, we got to release that guy. And so they said, well, we're going to try one more time to break him. So they bring him out to the square, and they said, we're going to kill you right now unless you denounce your faith in Jesus. He said, no. And they act like they were going to kill him. And then to his utter shock, they just released him, walked him out the front door and said, see ya. And he was like, and so as he's interviewing, he goes, would you sing your heart song? He goes, yes. And he stood face to east and sang this song. He said he just wept. You know what a heart song is? A heart song is a, a tune that moves you. Not, not just moves you emotionally, but... Uh, but a song that moves you to look, look at verse 16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's a song that, of your heart that moves you to the word of God. That's a heart song. It's a song that, that, that the, when the melody comes out and, and you may go, well, Chris, I, I can't sing. It doesn't matter. It's not a, it's not a it, it may not be a song that, that you sing tonally. Is that a word? Tonally. Or, it doesn't sound very good when you sing it, but it's your heart. That it's beauty to the ears of God, but it's a heart song that, that the melody comes when, you, when you're down and you don't trust the Lord, you're struggling to trust the Lord and it helps you go, God, I believe in you. That's a heart song. A heart song is, is that anthem that inspires you to say, I, I, I can overcome this. Lord, I will trust you. Lord, I will walk with you. And that's, look at verse 17 uh, and eight, let this, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms. That's part of the word of God. Hymns. Other people have written hymns and, and spiritual songs. Those are songs that come out of your heart with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word, or indeed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And here's what I want to challenge you today. Discover your heart song. What is it? Is it a song that somebody else has written? It's okay. Did you know that I have a heart song? And, and this morning, I, I'm going to do something that's out of my comfort zone. But And I've asked my wife to come, and hopefully she's back there. She was teaching her Sunday school class. Good. Uh, she makes me look better. And Eric, who's not my wife, I want him to come up too. Um, but I want to teach you my heart song. It's one of those songs for me that when I am going through the fire, 
I go, God, this, this aligns me to the truth of God, to the presence of God, to the power of God. And um, I want to teach it to you. And I've asked Robin to help me sing it because she sings better than me. But I, I love it when she sings it, ministers to me. It goes like this. How big you are, the voice could never tell. Earthly eyes could never see all that you can be. And yet you take the time to walk me through the chaos of my life. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are, your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. I cannot cease to praise you.
God, how big you are. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. God, how big you are. God, how big you are. You know, this morning, I want you to know how big he is, how much he loves you, how he came and he saved you, how he's called you to walk with him. You may have walked in the door and you've been in chaos. Do you know what? There have been times that my life has been in complete chaos. You know what I've discovered? Is that God walks us through chaos. And his spirit moves. He gives us one another. And I want you to know you can trust him. So our invitation is, let's stand together. And I want you to sing that song with us. You know, our altars are open. But I want us to worship. How big you are, the voice could never tell. Earthly eyes could never see. All that you can be, and yet you take the time to walk me through the chaos of my life. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. I cannot cease to praise you. I cannot help but fall down on my knees to think of your mercy even if I'd been the only one you still would have sent your son how big you are the voice could never tell earthly eyes could never see all that you can be, and yet you take the time to walk me through the chaos of my life. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. amazes me the clouds above the dust at your feet and yet in my darkness in all your kingly glory 
grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. Your grace overwhelms me. God, how big you are. God, how big you are. God, how big you You know, if you don't know Jesus, man, he loves you. And you could come to know him today. Because all these things that we've talked about today, you can't do on your own. But you can when his spirit saves you. So let's allow Lucy to be an example to us today. How she as a child just says, Jesus, I believe in you. You could come to Jesus just like that. He'll save you. Many of you, that's happened. I'd say probably most of you watching or in this room, that's happened. Hey, let's look like it. Let's look like it. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are bigger than our chaos. I thank you, Lord, that you put the stars in the sky and you set the foundations of the earth. And in all your kingly glory, you came to us. You came to us. And Father, we praise you today. So would you help each one of us to to offer to you our heart song. Father, would, would you help every one of us discover our heart song that reminds us that you are faithful. And Lord, whether we can sing or not, whether we can carry a tune or not, I pray that this would be a a day and a week that we sing it with all of our might because you have saved us and you're with us. So lead us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
Have a great day. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming.